Good morning, Grace. Our scripture reading comes from Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing our series this morning, Jesus Saves, looking at how Jesus talks about salvation in the Gospels. And I want to thank Pastor Justin and Pastor Tim for their wonderful sermons last couple weeks, looking at how salvation expresses itself uh, in Jesus healing the man who was born blind. That was in John chapter 9. And then last week, Pastor Tim's sermon on how Jesus provides deliverance for the Gerasene demoniac. In each of those, we saw how salvation played itself out with people who had no other hope but Jesus. Today we're going to look at a little bit of a different sort of character in the person of Zacchaeus, someone who had all the wealth in the world and seemingly all the resources of the world at his disposal. If the Gerasene demoniac and the man born blind were sort of at the mercy of other people, Zacchaeus was the one who seemed to have other people at his mercy. He's described in Luke chapter 19 as someone who was rich, a chief tax collector, someone who had the power and wealth of this world, and yet in the midst of that was still incredibly empty. I love Zacchaeus' story because I think his story connects with how a lot of us experience the world in America today. Are we satisfied with what the things of this world can provide? Or do we have a longing or a hope for something more? Zacchaeus is the person who, it seems like, has made his decision to just live for the here and now, and it has paid off. He's become incredibly wealthy and incredibly powerful, but he still has what Pascal called a God-shaped vacuum in his heart. And so we find Zacchaeus seeking out after Jesus, only to find Jesus looking back, seeking out after him. And Jesus delivers to Zacchaeus this wonderful invitation. Zacchaeus, I must go stay at your house today. This desire of Jesus to stay with Zacchaeus is met with ridicule from the people of Jericho, thinking there's no way that a religious leader like Jesus and a terrible person like Zacchaeus should have anything in common. And yet that's exactly the sort of person that Jesus says he's come for. And so when Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' house and eats with him and spends time with him, it transforms and melts Zacchaeus' heart. And he shows himself to be repentant in the way that he chooses to live his life and how he chooses to create restitution for the people that he's harmed. And Jesus ends the interaction, ends the passage in verses 9 and 10 with this 
wonderful summary of what has happened. He says, today salvation has come to this house, for he is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This passage about Zacchaeus and the idea that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost is important for you and I to listen to today as well. And so I want to cover three sort of details in the passage that I think will be helpful for you. Uh, The first one is the barriers to salvation, the barriers that Zacchaeus experiences and the barriers that, that we might experience. The second thing I really want to point out to you is the means of salvation, the way that Jesus holds out salvation for Zacchaeus and for us today as well. And then the last part uh, that I really want you to see is uh, the results of salvation. How does salvation play out in Zacchaeus' life and how should it play out in our lives as well? So let's get in the passage in a little more detail. Let's jump into it in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. Now, when we teach this story to kids, we often focus on how small Zacchaeus was physically. We talk about how cute it is that this little guy could climb up in a tree and we treat him as if he was some sort of uh, hilarious character. From biblical times. And, and that's, that's great with young kids. But there is a dark side to Zacchaeus that this passage reveals. Zacchaeus had become a chief tax collector, which meant that he had risen up through what could only be thought of as an ancient version of the mafia. Here's how it worked in uh, the Roman Empire at the time. Someone of tremendous means who was from the oppressed people would decide that it wasn't worth aligning with their people any longer. And so each year they would pay up front a lump sum to the Roman government for the rights to be the tax collector for their area, and in Zacchaeus's case, for a very large area. And the, at, as a result of that lump sum payment, that bribe, whatever you want to think of it as, they had the rights of the Roman army and the Roman legion to be able to uh, imprison, beat, harm, or uh, steal anyone's land if they didn't pay whatever the tax collector felt was a fair amount or desirable amount of taxes. If this sounds sort of like the mafia's concept of a shakedown or protection money, that's basically the idea. And if you want to laugh or ridicule four foot six or however tall he was, Zacchaeus, just know there was probably some Roman centurions standing behind him ready to break your legs. Zacchaeus wasn't such a cute figure. (laughs) He was a dangerous Man, and the result of his life, the result of his choices, had yielded two contradictory or, or two things that were in tension. On one side, he was incredibly successful. He's described as a, a wealthy man. He had risen through the ranks and had done a lot of things that um, had harmed people and then the process made him very much money. But on the other hand, he's completely alienated from his community to the point where he tries to see Jesus and everyone elbows him out of the way where he can't even see not unknowingly, but I'm sure knowingly, thinking that there's no room for someone like this. This is an important lesson about the barriers of salvation, that sin keeps us from God, even as sin pushes us away from our neighbor. Sin is alienating. Sin alienates us from the people we love, and it alienates us from God. This is how Romans describes it. In the book of Romans, it says that um, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
that because of your choice to sin and my choice to sin and Zacchaeus' choice to sin, we're separated from God. And we experience that on a human level in the way that sin separates us from our neighbor. Um, And we can hide that, we can appease that for a while, but the more intimacy we try to have with another person, the more the ways that we see sin uh, bumping up against our ability to connect with another person. Maybe you've experienced that during this time of quarantine, where your sin or my sin has made it difficult for us to connect with other people or to connect with God, where our choice to live in disobedience to God has made it hard for us to be close to God and made it hard to be close to the people that we're living with. For Zacchaeus, his choice to sin in this way of being a tax collector had made him an alien from his community. But importantly, it hadn't made him an alien to Jesus. Look at verse 4. He ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Why does it mention a sycamore tree in particular? I I don't know necessarily, but Kenneth Bailey, who's a, a theologian who lived in Israel for a long time, mentioned that sycamore trees having abnormally large leaves, and so perhaps, uh, perhaps Zacchaeus is trying to hide in those leaves in the sycamore tree, trying to maintain some level of anonymity as he watches Jesus. If that's the reason, if Bailey's right, then it makes verse 5 all the more profound, because it says, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine feeling the amount of anonymity or shame or alienation that Zacchaeus' life has been marked with? Trying to hide in a sycamore tree, hoping no one will notice, only to have the very center of attention, Jesus himself, come under the branches, look around, look around, and look up. And not only see you, but not ridicule you, not make fun of you, not spit on you, not, maybe in this moment, the most you're hoping for if you're Zacchaeus is that he'll think you're just another short person who couldn't see and take pity on you. But no, he knows who you are. He knows you're a tax collector. And not just a tax collector, he knows you by name. He calls to you. He says, Zacchaeus. And I wonder if there was a pause there. Like, I wonder if there was a pause after Zacchaeus' name where Zacchaeus felt like, is this just another person who's going to reject me or want nothing to do with me because of my sin? But that's not what happens. Instead of rejecting him when he says his names, he he invites himself into his life. He says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. Oh, isn't that what you long for and I long for? To be seen in our fullness, to be seen not just in our best moments, but in our most shameful moments and still loved and still known and still invited in. Jesus does that for Zacchaeus and he does that for you and for me. He sees us at our best and at our worst, and says, I love you. He sees us not in the moments that we wish no one else would, not, not only in the moments where we want people to notice us and recognize us, but in the moments that we wish no one could pay attention to. And he says, I love you, and I want to dwell with you and be with you. I want to stay where you are and sit with you and talk with you. Zacchaeus unsurprisingly responds to this invitation with enthusiasm and with love, just as we should. Jesus brings salvation into Zacchaeus' life through this offer of community, this this offer of 
hospitality. And Jesus calls to us in the same way. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This offer is in front of you and in front of me today. If you've never made the choice to open the door of your life to Jesus, now is the time that we can do that. Just like Zacchaeus did. Jesus looks at you and sees all of you with love. Not with shame, not with anger, not with ignorance, but with love. He desires to sit with you and to be with you and to be the Lord of your life. And so like Zacchaeus, we have the choice. Are we going to invite Jesus in or are we going to push him out? The idea that Jesus would dwell with a person like Zacchaeus is foreign to all of Zacchaeus' neighbors. And verse 7, they grumble about Jesus. Verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Think about this. Jesus holds out the gift of life for maybe the worst person in their community. And the response isn't delight, but it's anger. Because there's a natural tendency in their soul and in my soul and in your soul to be angry about Jesus liking people that we don't like. There can be a natural tendency to say, well, I'm, I'm glad that they're going to they're gonna find God, but I don't have to like it, and I don't have to like them. But Jesus challenges the people of Jericho and challenges us today to say, if you're going to follow me, that means to delight in the repentance of all who would come to me, to delight in the fact and to sit with even tax collectors and sinners. This is a challenge in our generation because we've embraced as an American people, as a people in, in the world today, the idea that uh, people can't change, that they're canceled, to use the modern term. That once people have done certain things that are beyond the pale, whatever, whatever that moral pale is, that we reject them from public life and from our life. And we've decided as a culture that people's souls are unchangeable. And in a sense, there's some truth to that. After all, without God and without Christ's intervention, all of us are on a path uh, away from God for eternity. But what Zacchaeus shows us is not that his will is strong, but that Christ's saving is complete. And Jesus reaches out to the worst people in his community and brings them close to himself. Now, as followers of Jesus, the question is, how do we walk in Jesus' footsteps like that? How do we practice that same sort of loving hospitality that Jesus does? How do we reach our hands out with a smile as he does towards Zacchaeus? Not out of judgment, not out of anger, not out of disdain, but out of love. Well, this salvation changes Zacchaeus. It changes him and melts him from the inside out. I wonder, I I think of Zacchaeus kind of like another prodigal son story in some ways. He is someone who would decide to live for the moment and live for today. And I wonder how many times Zacchaeus had been told from the people of Jericho that what he was doing was wrong. I wonder how many times his mom had prayed for him or his brother had tried to confront him I wonder how often people in his community had told him that what he was doing was an affront to God. And yet it seems to have just hardened him. 
like if you've ever tried to hammer an ice, uh, ice cube, nothing seems to happen. And yet the love of Jesus melts Zacchaeus, like the sun melts an ice cube. And he goes from being someone who has treated the poor and his community as things to be stepped on to the path of his own wealth. And he goes from that to being someone who chooses on his own out of love to be generous and kind to the poor in his community. Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Okay, what's Zacchaeus doing in this moment? A couple things that'll help you to understand that. The, the first is something from the Old Testament law, and the second is something that Jesus talked about from chapter 18. Let's talk about the Old Testament law first. In the Old Testament law, um, God makes it clear that the people of Israel are, when they harm one another, not only to apologize to one another, but to make restitution to one another for their sin. So as an example, if you were to harm or kill someone's animal, you're not just supposed to say, I'm sorry, or even just replace the animal, but you're supposed to replace the animal with additional value on top of that, usually a 20% margin. The reason for this was in order to help the people of Israel take sin seriously and also to treat one another with neighborly love and not to take advantage of one another. And Zacchaeus, the reason I point that out, is that Zacchaeus isn't just doing the minimum he has to do. He's extravagantly creating restitution for the people around him. You know, to say, if I've harmed someone, I'm going to pay them back. He says, no, if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to repay it 400%. Well, sometimes people have done the math on this and said, Look, if Zacchaeus became very wealthy by cheating people, and he's going to pay everyone back four times what he cheated him, he's going to go into debt pretty quickly. Well, that may be true, and, and maybe there's some hyperbole here, but a quick explanation of the taxation system. Jericho was at a trade route, and so the people that uh, Zacchaeus took advantage of were usually the wealthy, those who were trading goods, importers and exporters from east and west, which is what makes Zacchaeus' other comments so telling. When he says, I'm going to give the poor half my wealth. Now, did Zacchaeus cheat the poor? Well, maybe, but most of the, the landed farmer poor in Jericho weren't doing a lot of importing and exporting. In fact, the poor probably weren't the victims necessarily of his tax exploitation so much as the people around him who didn't benefit from his generosity. And so what Zacchaeus says here when he says, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor is saying, I'm not just going to have restitution to the people that I've harmed, that I owe it to, the fact that, Jesus, you are radically generous and kind with me is going to make me generous with people who I don't even have to be generous with. You see, I think this is important because it shows Zacchaeus's changed heart. He doesn't treat his wealth as something to cling to, but as a means of being gracious in the lives of others. This gets to chapter 18 that I mentioned a second ago. In chapter 18, Jesus is met with another rich person, a rich young ruler who sees his goal as keeping only the commands that are instructed of him. And when Jesus says, another command I give you, go and sell everything you have to the poor, it's too much for him. He's willing to keep commands, but he's not willing to be gracious. He's not willing to go beyond what is required of him. But grace always requires us going beyond what is just required. Because Grace, by its very nature, is unnecessary. God has been gracious with us in a way that is unnecessary, and so we're gracious with one another in a way that is unnecessary. And I want to thank you guys for the ways that you have been 
gracious and commend you for that. This week, our church was able to send a few thousand dollars from our caring fund that, that we haven't used this month and be able to gift that to two of our sister churches, one in Lancaster and one in Bellflower, who are being really hard hit financially by, um, by the COVID crisis. And we could have clung to it. Like, we, we don't have to do this. We don't have to be generous with other churches. But you guys wanted to be. You guys have been exceedingly generous in giving to the Caring Fund beyond what we've been able to use in our local community here in Seal Beach. And because of that, we want to practice the same sort of generosity and kindness and being able to buy groceries and pay for rent for some of our brothers and sisters in uh, socioeconomically harder-hit communities through Bellflower Brethren Church and La Conseca Church in Lancaster. So I want to commend you for that and, and thank you for that as well. Well, I want to finish with uh, Jesus' words to Zacchaeus in verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. I, I love this verse. I think it's so profound because in it, Jesus summarizes both his purpose and his mission. What Jesus is saying is that he has come to seek and to save people like Zacchaeus. And he has done it. Right? He's not come to point ways that people could accomplish their own salvation or remind them of the means of grace that were previously there, but that it comes through him, that it is his person that seeks and to save the lost. After all, Jesus declares that Zacchaeus is right with God without going to the temple because Jesus is the better temple, without going to the priests because Jesus is the better high priest, without offering a sacrifice because Jesus himself would become the sacrifice that Zacchaeus and that we need. Jesus says that he has the authority and power to declare salvation in Zacchaeus' life and in your life and in my life. And that Zacchaeus's generosity and his grace are not the ways that he accomplishes salvation, but they're evidence and fruit of the salvation in his life. As Paul will say in Galatians chapter 3, those of faith are sons of Abraham. Zacchaeus is declared a son of Abraham by Jesus because of his faith in him. And we too are sons of Abraham. The result of God's grace in Zacchaeus' life and Jesus' grace in Zacchaeus' life is that Zacchaeus would live a radically changed life. I wonder for you and for me this morning, how has grace changed your life? How has Jesus' willingness and longing and kindness at sitting with you changed the way that you treat those around you? Is there fruit and evidence of salvation in your life? In the way that you treat the poor, in the way that you make restitution for your sin, in the way that you um, not only apologize, but seek to make it right with the people that you've harmed? I, I hope that especially during this time of quarantine and this time of extended solitude and reflection, that you and I will take some time to carefully consider the ways that our sins have harmed those around us and be willing to make restitution for those. St. Augustine wrote, Grace is bestowed on us, not because we have done good works, but that we may be able to do them. I love that line. Grace has been bestowed on us, not that we have done good works, but that we may be able to do them. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works he has prepared for us to walk in. 
the reason that Zacchaeus was saved was so that he could walk in the good works that God had prepared before him. The reason you and I have experienced Jesus' salvation is so that we can walk with God forever and in that can be a blessing to the world. So a couple questions for you to pray about and reflect about this week as we close. One, as you look at Zacchaeus' life, do you see yourself alienated because of your sin from God and from others? And are you willing to come out of the tree and to go and to dwell with Jesus? Second question I want you to really reflect on is Zacchaeus models for us how grace is not earned by our acts, but it is shown in our acts. That the fact that we're saved is demonstrated in the way that we uh, treat one another and the way that we model grace for others. How is Zacchaeus' model of restitution a model for us in our generosity towards others? Let me close our time together in prayer. God, I am so grateful for Zacchaeus. I'm grateful for the ways that he shows us that there is no one beyond the need of salvation or beyond the hope of salvation. God, if there are people who are listening today who feel like that is not them, that they, they don't, um, they could never be interested in God, they can never follow Jesus, they can never consider themselves a Christian, that they've done too many bad things, they've pushed themselves too far away from you. God, I pray that through your word and through Zacchaeus' story, they would see themselves. And they would see that, that even, if, even if religious people don't like them, that you like them. Even if people scorn them, that you don't scorn them and that you desire to dwell with them. God, may they, reply, may they respond to that hope and that invitation today. And God, for all of us who would say that we've come down out of the tree and, and, and are following you, God, may Zacchaeus's model humble us and be a light for our path of what it means to show evidence of repentance and evidence of a heart that is soft towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.